morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In churches today, you will find two extremes. There are churches that are liturgical and formal, very strictly ordered. They have a very careful script that has been written and rarely altered. Everything is very patterned and predictable week after week after week. There's not going to be any spontaneity in a service like that. And then you have churches that are free and informal and open and flexible and somewhat unpredictable and often chaotic and confusing. Well, the Corinthian church fell into the extreme end of the latter extreme. They were free and open. They had no order of service. Nothing was planned. Everything was spontaneous. And because of that, it led to chaos. So Paul writes the section we're going to look at this morning to give the balanced view of how a church meeting ought to be conducted. And his point is that it ought to be open with order. It ought to have freedom with some regulations. And that's why I've entitled this, Order in the Church. Look at verse 26 of chapter 14. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. What is the outcome then? What is the conclusion? What is the desired balance? It's not what we saw in verse 23, that they were all to speak in tongues, because that resulted in people saying, you're mad. And it wasn't even what we saw in verse 24, that all should prophesy, even though that had a more positive outcome. He said, the desired balance is that when you come together, everyone contributes in a variety of ways. Everyone brings something, a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, and the emphasis of our meeting together is what? Is the edifying of the church. It's the building up of the church. Paul has been saying that throughout this chapter. He said it in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 12. It's all for the edification of the church to build us up. You know, sometimes when people stop coming to church and you ask them, well, what's going on? They say, well, I don't really get anything out of it. And then when you kind of challenge them a little bit, they say, well, I really need to get back to church, kind of with the enthusiasm like, I really need to go to the dentist. You see, your concern ought not to be, what am I getting out of it? Your concern ought to be, what am I contributing to it? Paul says here, everybody comes to church and we bring something. We bring our giftedness, 
And we're ready to do what? We're ready to contribute so that we build other people up. It's not about me. It's not about me coming and saying, what are you giving me? It's about us coming and saying, what am I giving to build up other people? Same thing is true in your marriage. You try going into your marriage and saying, what am I getting out of this? If you have that attitude, you're going to get nothing out of it because it's a paradox. God says in marriage, one of you is supposed to be like Jesus, dying on the cross, and the other is to be like the church, surrendering all. Both the same outcome. You sacrifice everything, you surrender everything. When you come to marriage and you do that, you give yourself, guess what? You receive back multiplied blessings that you never could have gotten otherwise. When you go into marriage and you say, I want to get something out of it, it dries up and you get nothing. Well, the same applies to the church. You come to the church with a full cup. You don't come with an empty cup saying, fill me up. You come with a full cup saying, how can I spill over and bless other people? How can I build somebody else up? What can I bring to encourage the church of God. You see, that's our goal, to build up the body of Christ. You say, well, Dan, I thought our goal was evangelism. Well, no, our fundamental goal, our primary goal, is to build up the body of Christ. But a funny thing happens when you build up the body of Christ. In fact, let me show you. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. One little snapshot here of the early church. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they stayed in their little holy huddle. I'm sorry. It's not what it says. It says, it continued to increase. When the church is built up, it multiplies. When the church, when we as individuals are built up in our walk with Christ, we get out there and witness. That's what happens. A built-up church will be an increasing and growing church. And so Paul says, when we gather together, we come, we all bring something, and we come together to build up the body. And when we build up the body, it becomes strong and it impacts the lost community around us to bring them to Christ. And so Paul says, here's some things you can bring. Bring a psalm. Now, that could be a literal psalm out of the psalms. Or it could be a song. You can come and sing. People have told me I ought to do that more often. They're very polite. Or a psalm. If you you go back and read the psalms, What a psalm is really, it's really a kind of a poetic testimony. If you go back there and read the psalms, what are they? They're David describing where he's at right now, and many of them are prayers, and many of them are songs related to his personal experience. So a psalm could be your testimony that you come and share with somebody else to encourage them. Maybe you find them struggling in an area, and you say, this is what I went through. Let me comfort you with the comfort that God gave me. That's bringing a psalm to say, I'm coming to share what I have experienced to help other people to grow and be built up. Some bring a teaching. 
That's being able to explain the truth of God. Some brought a revelation. Now, that was more current in the early church when they didn't have the complete Word of God, and God would speak and reveal something through someone, and they would bring that revelation. They didn't sit here with their Bibles. If, if I was preaching in the first century and I said, open your Bibles, they'd say, we don't have a Bible. They brought a revelation that was to that church. And then a tongue, we talked about that. A tongue is the word for language and an interpretation, the translation of that language. And so Paul says, you have this open service. I want everyone to come and bring something. And then he says, but I want you to have order to that service. And so he gives some guidelines to bring order to the church. And he mentions three areas where they have to have guidelines. Those three areas are tongues, prophecy, and women. And I'm hoping we'll run out of time so I won't get to the third one. (laughs) I'm going to stretch this first point. First is guidelines for tongues, verses 27 and 28. And Paul gives four guidelines for the use of the gift of languages. Look at verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. Four guidelines. Guideline number one, two or at the most three. Now, that would put a damper on most of the activity in the church at Corinth because their pattern according to verse 23, was that all would speak in tongues. Paul says, no, that's not the way it's to to be done. You're to have two or at the most three. Now, I haven't witnessed a great amount of what passes as tongues today, but most of what I have witnessed is a violation of this passage because I have sat in a room where the majority of the people all began to speak in tongues simultaneously. Paul says that's out of order. The most you can have in a meeting of the church is three people. Two are at the most three. Second guideline, each in turn, one at a time. The Corinthians were doing it all at the same time. They were doing it simultaneously. They were doing it in stereo. And Paul says, the two or three are to wait on each other. They are to take turns. It's to happen one at a time. Thirdly, he says, and let one interpret. Now, if the gift of languages was to be used in the church... It was to only be used in conjunction with the gift of interpretation. Someone had to be there to translate that language into the language of the hearers. You say, well, what if that person wasn't there? Well, look at verse 28. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, they must have known who had the gift of interpretation because Paul says if that guy is not there, if he couldn't get out because of the ice, and he's not there, 
then you don't use the gift of tongues in the church because you have to have this guy there to interpret. If he's not there, then you don't speak audibly. So Paul says, here's some restrictions on the use of the gift of tongues in the church. Two or at the most three, in turn, with an interpreter, never without an interpreter. Now, that's rather interesting. Because I've had people tell me that when they speak in tongues, it just kind of starts and they can't stop. They tell me that they're out of control. But listen carefully. If tongues was a gift that came upon a person and caused them to lose control, then it wouldn't make much sense for Paul to put some regulations on its use. How do you regulate a gift that is uncontrollable? But you see, in this passage, he's telling us that it could be regulated. It can be controlled. The individual that has this gift can control the use of this gift. Paul is telling them how many should speak, when they should speak, when they shouldn't speak. It can be controlled. In fact, the Holy Spirit never does anything through anyone that is out of control. Let me repeat that. The Holy Spirit never does anything through anyone who is out of control because when the Holy Spirit is in control, he manifests the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, what? Self-control. So if you say, I'm filled with the Spirit and I'm out of control, you better check the spirit you're filled with. Second, guidelines for prophecy. We said that prophecy is the word that means foretelling or forthtelling the truth of God. It parallels today to the gift of preaching, proclaiming the word of God. Paul gives four guidelines for the use of the gift of prophecy. Guideline number one. Two or three, look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. Now, how would you like to be in a service in the early church? I mean, they, had, they didn't just have one preacher like you've got to live with. They had two or three. They had like a tag team. I'd preach to like lose my voice, and then I'd tag James, and he'd come up here. And apparently... Uh, they had the same characteristic that plagues pastors today, and that is they were long-winded. And so Paul says, i got to put a limit on this. No, it's going to be two or three. That's all you can have. Uh, I lost my watch. It's been quite a while back. Some people are real concerned that I don't have a watch. They want to buy me one. Actually, I have one right back there. I can see it. but, but preachers tend to be long-winded. Paul says, two or at the most three, that's the limit. See, he must have known that axiom that uh, the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. That's why we put pads in here, so you guys can hang in there a little longer than most. First guideline, two or three. Second, prophecy was to be evaluated. Look at verse 29 again. Let two or three prophets speak, 
and let the others pass judgment. You see, just because I come up here in front of you doesn't give me a license to say whatever I want to say. I'm to be evaluated. There are false prophets in the world today. And those with the gift of prophet were to judge, evaluate those who were speaking with the gift of prophecy. Today we have the Word of God complete. And the way we evaluate a man's message today is to go to the Word of God. When I, that's why I have you open your, script, your, your Bibles. I show you where I'm getting this from because I want you to see where this is coming from. It's not my idea. It's the Word of God. I want you to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 who examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Don't take my word for it. Critique me. Evaluate me. Test me. Keep an eye on me. He says two or three prophets, and they are to be evaluated, secondly. Thirdly, they're to yield to each other. Verse 30, but if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. God doesn't just work through one person. That's why some of you worry me a little bit. You get hooked on some pastor, some preacher somewhere, and you listen to him all the time. Not me. I mean, you listen to me all the time. But, that's, but somebody on the radio, we're talking about other guys here. Somebody on the radio, somebody on TV, and whatever he says is gold, you know. But, but it, Paul is saying here, if one guy's talking and God decides to speak through another guy, then the first guy needs to sit down and let the second guy come up. God doesn't just speak to you through one person. Let me, let me be frank. Don't get hung up on me. Don't go around saying, Dan said this, because you'll probably misquote me anyway. To get what God has to say to you, you need to be open to the people God has gifted in the entire body of Christ to minister to you. So don't get locked into one guy and say, I really like this guy. I'm going to buy everything he says. You need to be listening to what God's saying through the variety of gifts that he has in the body of Christ. The Corinthians apparently weren't doing that. They'd have a guy get up, and he'd take the floor, and he'd filibuster. Now, I'm going to keep talking. Somebody else would try to talk. No, you sit down. I'm going to, and they dominate, and they talked over each other, and they were rude, and there was chaos in the church at Corinth. You know, it's easy to be guilty of that. Someone has said there's two kinds of speakers. There are those who have something to say and those who have to say something. I don't want to listen to a guy who has to say something. I want to listen to somebody who has something to say. And here he's saying, if you're up speaking, if you've got something from God to say, then you speak. But if God decides somebody else has something to say, then you sit down and that person needs to say what God once said. And then the fourth guideline is one by one, verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Again, the Corinthians had a multiple, multiplicity of people talking at the same time. And Paul says it needs to be one by one so that the result is that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And then he adds this in verse 32, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. 
just like the gift of tongues, prophecy is not a gift that I start speaking and I can't stop, that I can't control. This gift is subject to the spirit of the prophet. There's no excuse for disorder. And then notice the summation in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. If you've got chaos and confusion, and you've got individuals out of control, God is not the author of that. God is not orchestrating that. You know, several years ago, there was a popular movement out of Toronto uh, called the uh, Laughing Revival. Did you see that? I used to watch it on TV, and my wife made me turn it off because it just gave her whatever you get, the heebie-jeebies. But, but I watched it a couple times just because it was amazing to me how people responded. This guy, I think his name was uh, Brown, Howard Brown, something. something. And uh, he, Rodney Howard Brown, I think was his name. He, he, he stood up and he get, began to speak, and he really never got into his message because everybody would start laughing. And they would laugh so hard that they would fall on the floor hysterically. So he would get about five minutes into his message and the whole congregation would be lying on the floor laughing hysterically. And he never finished the message. And I'm just looking at this going, what, what, is, what is going on here? In fact, he called himself the Holy Ghost bartender. And his argument was that these people were drunk in the spirit of God. And that's why they were laying on the ground laughing hysterically. I have a problem with that. Because when the Holy Spirit fills me, I don't become drunk in the sense that I cannot do anything. I don't fall on the ground drunk so that I can't get up. And I don't just laugh. When I am filled with the Holy Spirit, you read the book of Acts, what happens? I get bold in the Spirit of God. I don't talk the way I used to talk. I talk the way God wants me to talk. I don't walk the way I used to walk. I walk the way God wants me to walk. I'm a different person in the Spirit of God, but it doesn't make me drunk in that manner. And I look at that service, and I think there is total chaos there, and it's so out of order in terms of what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You see, if we are using the true gifts of God under the control of God, it's going to be characterized by peace. Our worship should reflect the character and nature of God, and he is the God of peace. Third point. <clears throat> and this is really very self-explanatory. Guidelines for women. Look at verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. 
You say, well, why does he bring this up here? Well, he's been talking about silence. In verse 28, he says, if you have the gift of tongues and there's no interpreter, keep silent. Verse 30, if you're prophesying and another wants to speak, keep silent. And now he says, if you're a woman, keep silent. Now the question is, how silent is she supposed to be? Can she whisper? Can she sing? Can she clear her throat? What's he talking about here? Well, what's the context? The context is the public use of spiritual gifts in the church. He's talking about the use of the, particularly the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Now, every church has to draw a line on this issue. And wherever you choose to draw that line, I will tell you this, you have to draw the line by saying women cannot speak publicly with the gift of tongues and women cannot speak publicly with the gift of prophecy in the meeting of the church. You have to draw the line there. People ask me all the time, what do you think about women preachers? And I say, I think they're great, but not in the meeting of the church. Because that's what Paul's saying here. Women are to be, keep silent when it comes to the gift of prophecy in the meeting of the church. We have some women in this church who can preach better than I can. And I applaud that, and they do outside of this church meeting, in women's groups, in women's Bible studies, in that capacity, they are powerful teachers. In fact, when we've written some of the curriculum for our our classes, I have used a lady in this church who is an outstanding teacher to help me write that curriculum because she's gifted that way. But when it comes time to speak in front of the church, Paul says, no, that's out of order. Women are to be silent when it comes to public use of gifts in the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. Give you a little more enforcement to this. 1 Timothy 2. Verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Don't any of you guys uh, write that out and put it on your mirror at home. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. What are the two issues? Teaching and exercising authority, leading in the church. Why not, Paul? Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. He goes back to the order of creation. Adam was first, then Eve. And then he gives a second reason, verse 14, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. He says back at the beginning, the woman tried to lead, and look what happened. 
And I think that's probably what he's referring to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when at the end of verse 34, he says, as the law also says. Going back to the beginning. Then look at verse 35. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, this raises a question for me, whether the style of ministry in the early church was that people asked questions. That would throw me off a little bit, if you were all throwing questions at me. But I'm wondering, is that the style that they had then, or maybe what was happening in the church at Corinth was the women were doing an end run around this regulation and saying, well, we're not really using any spiritual gift, we're just asking questions. And they were interrupting what was going on by asking questions and trying to control the service. And so Paul says, you're to ask your husbands at home. Did you guys get that? Now, if they're going to ask you at home, guess what? You've got to know the answers. You know, ask me what the score of the ball game was last night, and I know. But, you know, ask me a question out of Scripture, and maybe I can't, I can't uh, you know, I don't know. You see, he's putting the onus on the men and saying, you're to be the leaders, that means you're to know the Scriptures, and you're to be able to teach your wife and teach your children and, and lead your family. If you're going to be a leader, be a leader. That's what he's saying. You know, in churches where women tend to lead, when you ask why, what do they say? Because the men won't do it. And God is saying you need to wait and let the men do it, even if they're slow. I, I find in spiritual matters men are slow, very slow sometimes. Women tend to be natural leaders. You know, they get say they want to lead, they step out. That's why when we have women's Bible studies, they're packed. We have men's Bible studies. They're not packed. Women will lead very readily. Men tend to sit back. And so maybe because God knows that, he's saying, all right, women, you need to sit back and wait and let that man take that leadership because he will tend to take it reluctantly. But when he takes it, he'll be in the place God wants him to be. See, that's true in your marriage. You're a leader. Like it or not, you're the leader of your marriage. You're the leader of your family. Like it or not, you're the head of that family. You're to be leading in that. The same is true in the church. And women ha are called to, to wait, even though naturally they want to step out there and lead, and they can probably do it better. But they're to sit back and let their husband step forward and take the leadership because that's God's design for the church. Now, I hear a lot of people who look at a passage like this say, this was just Paul's opinion. Paul was a women hater. Paul was biased. We don't have to listen to him. Well, if you have been buying into that, these next verses are for you because look at verse 36. He says, was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Ouch. Are you the source of Scripture? Well, no. Well, if you're not the source of Scripture, then what are you? You are the recipient of Scripture, and your responsibility is to listen to Scripture and obey. And then he follows that up with another question, verse 36. Or has it come to you 
only? You're the only one that gets, do you have a monopoly on truth? No. You see, whenever you refuse to obey the word of God, you are putting yourself above the word of God. And then look at verse 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Here's the test to see if you're a prophet. Here's the test to see if you're spiritual. Since the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, and Paul was obviously a prophet, then those who claim to have that gift will listen to what Paul says and say, Amen. And what does Paul call this passage? His personal opinion? No. He calls it, the Lord's commandment. Wow. That's why I don't like red-letter Bibles. What's a red-letter Bible suggesting? That Jesus' words were somehow more important than... No, it's all the Word of God. And Paul writes this passage and he says, this is God's commandment to you. And then verse 38, but if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And that's a play on words in the Greek language. Anyone who disregards this should be disregarded. You say, well, Dan, I know preachers who disregard this. I know people who disregard this. I know churches that disregard this. Okay. What's Paul say? He says, disregard them. You see, we have to worship God God's way. And the person who says, I know more about how to worship God than God does, is not worshiping God. That's not an attitude of worship. And Paul says, don't follow that person. In fact, do not even recognize that person. Pretty strong words. And then he gives a summary in 39 and 40. He says, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. He spent this whole chapter comparing prophecy and tongues and showing us that prophecy is the greater gift, that tongues is really not valuable in the church service. And now he gets to the end and he says, I want you to desire prophecy, but I've, I've beaten up tongues throughout this chapter. I, I don't want you to forbid it entirely. Don't throw it out, but understand where it fits as a lesser gift in the body of Christ. And then verse 40 but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. There must be order in the church. Now, this marks the end of the section dealing with spiritual gifts. In fact, this is our 22nd message on chapters 12 to 14. And so let me just conclude by kind of summarizing this with some exhortations to you. I'll give you three exhortations. Number one, unwrap and use your spiritual gifts. Is there anybody here who still has a Christmas gift wrapped up at home that you haven't opened? I doubt it. But see, God has given you a gift, or maybe several gifts, or a combination of gifts, and he wants you to open that. And when I ask Christians, what's your spiritual gift? And they say, I don't know. We need to open our gift 
and find out what that gift is, and then we need to use that gift. And what is it used for? It's used to build up the body of Christ. Unwrap and use your gift, number one. Two, focus on the giver, not the gift. I hope you didn't open a Christmas gift and get so excited about it that you forgot about the giver. See, we like our gift. We love the giver. God has given you a gift. Don't get so enamored with your gift that you forget about the giver of the gift. It's simply a reflection on our giving God. He is to be our focus, not the gifts themselves. And then thirdly, it's better to be godly than gifted. That's Paul's whole point in putting 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right in the middle of 12 and 14 about spiritual gifts. Because in that chapter, Paul said, you can preach the stars down. You can talk in the tongues of men and angels. You can give your body as a martyr. You can give all your possessions to the poor. And if you don't have love, you're a zero. The evidence of a mature, spirit-filled Christian is not spiritual gifts. The evidence of a mature, spirit-filled Christian is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Maturity is measured by love. And that gets down to the practical issues of how we conduct ourselves in our service together, how we respect each other, and how we wait on each other, and how we don't put ourselves first in the meeting of the church. We're not thinking about what I want to say, but I'm listening to what you have to say. We are coming to church to give rather than get. That's all aspects of love. It becomes that practical in our meeting together. As we reflect on that this morning, how God has gifted you, how God is challenging you, I'm going to have the praise team come back. I'm going to have a stand, and we're going to finish our service by worshiping the Lord together.